Welcome to the Nerd Tutorial Podcast, a podcast giving a tutorial about nerdy subjects for those who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today is myself, your nerdy tutor, nerdy tutor, George, and the mistress of yarn, my mom. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me. Alrighty. So, we're a new podcast. The intent here is to give people a chance to educate themselves on somewhat nerdy topics, and hopefully by having another person here, myself, with my mom, who's not exactly nerdy herself, a chance for a more casual viewer or person viewing this in from a distance to see what it's like and get to learn from it from a perspective that hopefully will help them out. So I just want to say thank you for joining me here on this weird adventure we're hopefully going to partake in, and hopefully this all goes very, very well. So... I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Excellent. So, our topic here today is going to be something that's near and dear to my heart, something I've been into for a, quite a number of years here, which is going to be Japanese animation, or as we colloquially call it here in America, just anime. So, Mom, what do you know about anime? Um, I know I first became aware of anime with Spirited Away, which is a long time ago. Um, and aside from that, I, I remember the days when, um, oh, I'm blanking out on, on the name, um, Sailor Moon. There we go. Okay. I remember when Sailor Moon was on TV, um, certainly aware of Pokemon and when that was showing quite a bit. Um, although a lot of that seems to have come off of broadcast channels. This is kind of true here. So you were talking kind of the early 90s and a little into the early 2000s worth of what kind of America's first foray into the uh, and Japanese animation scene would have been here. So um, it's now time for our quick tutorial. So, okay. Um, Japanese animation here is kind of the forefront of what would be regular Western animation in and of itself. It's originality starting back from the 1970s when you had Japanese comics, which are always known as manga, a future topic for later, um, which are basically the same thing as American comics, the only difference being is that, much like Japanese animation, they cover a far more broader range of subjects and topics than generally American comics might, although more common American topics are beginning to get there in a certain way. Um, it's what I like to call the kitchen sink syndrome, everything and the kitchen sink. Um, when you get to the real anime, though, you really start seeing a lot of it coming up from a little show called Astro Boy, which is kind of the forefront of what's traditionally considered the beginning of anime. It's done by what would be what we call the god of manga, a gentleman named uh, Osama Tezuka. He was very prominent in creating a number of different stories and animations in the very early 60s and up into the 70s and 80s even. And so, again, he's kind of one of the forefronts into that initial world of anime here. You move on through throughout time here, obviously, the 70s was a huge boom for Japanese animation with the idea of robots and real robot series, which we'll go into a little bit more discussion about later about what kind of shows those are, but those are where you see shows such as Gundam that first comes up, which is a very long-running uh, anime series, which kind of sets the real kind of, what, which would be what we call the real robot genre. But again, we'll go about more about some genres here a little bit later. Um, you get into the 80s, you know, you have a lot more of explosion of more, obviously, where the 80s was a lot more sexualized. You get a lot more of what we consider the more common proportions of 
Japanese animation where you have slightly more mature looking figures, the big eyes, the weird hairdo and the weird costumes. You start to get more of that in the 80s uh, with a number of series that start airing in there. When you get to the 90s though, our, our kind of colloquial uh, idea of anime starts changing because it starts coming into the West. It's not an immediate sort of like, oh my, oh my goodness, anime. But rather it's the, the presentation of early shows that eventually got over here. Um, a lot of that being somewhat thankful to the Power Rangers, oddly enough, where the original Power Rangers are actually a long-running series of Japanese shows called the Super Sentai, which is a regular series that changes its cast every year for about 50 episodes, but is a long-running staple in Japan, actually, of having masked warriors fighting evil villains or so forth here. There's a lot of shows about that. We could do an episode on that, theoretically. Um, but because of that initial prominence of having Western stuff done, because a lot of the benefit of the Power Rangers was that all the fighting and all the robots and all that stuff had been already paid for by Japan, and all, Amer all, all Saban had to do when they bought it over, brought it over to America was film a new cast of, of people when they're not in their suits and just redub everything. And it's very easy to redub everything you don't have lips moving back and forth because they're covered by a mask. So it was very easy to do that. When they did that here with uh, other shows here, which are early 90s staples here, such as Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball, obviously the Pokemon, Digimon series that came out, uh, a lot of that was very easy to dub because it was, again, all the major work had been done by Japan here as far as the animation and the cost for that. All they had to do was license it here in America and people just had to dub over it. and So it was a way to produce something quickly and cheaply. Initially, yeah. And you had a lot of backlog if it caught on. Exactly. Okay. So there was a lot of, again, again, I mean, like, if you wanted to try to see if this would be a worthwhile venture at the end of the day, you could spend a little bit of money here to buy a full, buy, you know, 26 episodes of a series, which is not uncommon in Japan. A lot of episode series are 26 episodes or 25 or 24 in that nature. And you just have to redub it. And if you're not really that concerned about what the English dialogue sounds like, you're just trying to get a product out there. You get a lot of somewhat early contenders where not that great dubbing quality or voice acting as it is. And so you get a lot of series that come out regardless, but still kind of hit it off with a lot of, you know, teenagers and young kids who are like, oh my goodness, here is a show that's a bit more mature than what we were normally used to in Western um, animation here. Okay, well, like, some of that makes sense because I remember um, seeing the, the Power Rangers, and, you know, mind you, you have a younger brother who is the Green Ranger. He dresses as Green Ranger every opportunity, mm -hmm. has, has the full-on suit. Um, and I remember noticing that the villains were not well-dubbed. Not so much the um, action characters, but the villains where they were in face paint and costume were not well dubbed. It didn't sync up. So that makes sense. Yeah. So again, I mean, for what it was back in the 90s here, it was, an it was a market that nobody really had tapped into just yet. Um, I can vaguely remember watching shows like Ronmo One Half and uh, what we know here in America as Robotech is actually three different series in Japan. Um, on the PBS station that we had here on Sundays in a lot of cases. 
Um, and even then, you would get... Sometimes you would get decent dubbing, and then a lot of times you'd actually get the subtitles um, in there as well. Because obviously, if you're just bringing over the material to have it here in America, it's very easy to sit a person down and say, write out the script for what everyone says in Japanese and translate it into English. That's not that expensive to do. And to that point here, when you get into the early 2000s when you have shows like um, Spirited Away um, and other kind of movies that kind of come out, you actually in the early 2000s have what we call digi-subbers, which are people on the internet who still do this to the state who translate Japanese animation sometimes minutes after it's broadcast in Japan and then rebroadcast it here in America. Not legally, though. There's a a bit of a gray zone when it comes to digi-subs here, um, which was the notion that if it's not licensed here in America, it's theoretically never going to come to America. So you you would basically subtitle something so that a Western audience could experience it, and then if it ever got licensed in America, you stopped subbing it, you stopped subtitling it, and tried to promote the original uh, material here. Not everyone followed that rule necessarily, but it was um, certainly a mainstay of that. Nowadays, it's less necessary because there's a lot more outlets that stream and provide kind of information like that, but... Um, but we can go into that more. But I think what really happened in the 2000s here was uh, the advent of, obviously, Spirit of the Way clearly showed that there was an interest in Japanese animation and Japanese movies here. I mean, how Miyazaki makes amazing movies in and of itself. So you get, uh, obviously, Spirit of the Way, which comes out. You get um, a number of different movies of his that eventually do reach here into the West and still actually prominently feature in in movie theaters when they do come out. Um, But actually what I think changed a lot of the Western culture of what was Japanese animation was actually uh, a little-known TV channel called, I believe it's Cartoon Network. (laughs) A little-known. Okay, it's it's pretty big. But uh, Cartoon Network actually has a block of its shows that they only broadcast at nighttime after usually what would be considered like well, the adults, the adults swim. The adults swim, yes. And so, initial Adult Swim were obviously kind of a weird little janky bit of animation here, which was like probably not something you would show on on TV normally during a regular hour. But eventually, they started showing Japanese animation, and so you get one of the big forefronts into uh, into very popular anime here in America would have been Cowboy Bebop, um, which is a very popular, which was not a popular show in Japan initially when it first aired. It was actually a very poorly reviewed show. But when it came here into America, we thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And so <laughs> we clearly fell in love with that and fell in love with other series like Trigun and a couple other series that were not popular in Japan initially, but suddenly found a huge explosion of interest in the West here. And then obviously you have what we call uh, what would have been in the 2000s here we called the big three. There was three major shows uh, that came out including uh, One Piece, uh, Naruto, and Bleach which are these three big series in Japan that basically dominated the anime market for a number of years as the top uh, adventure and action kind of comedy sort of uh, shows in Japan. Oh, okay, so the comedy, that's that's interesting because I went to thought of comedy as a as a venue for uh, anime so you'd be surprised actually that um, 
So I think this is a good time to kind of delve into a, kind of what's the unique flavor of what Japanese animation in here is. is that, okay. Um, Japanese animation, as much as it's a wholly owned thing in, a, in Japan here, they just know it as animation. They would call our animation here in the West just animation. So there's an, but okay. Japanese animation is not like American animation. It's very, where American animation, you might think it's comedy, slapstick, clearly it's aimed for a more uh, childish audience here. There are obviously lone exceptions such as um, Steven Universe, uh, you have Rick and Morty, uh, obviously Family Guy, The Simpsons, that's not necessarily meant for a younger audience. It can be enjoyed by a younger audience, but a lot of that stuff goes just to go way over their head. It's probably not something you would want to show a much younger audience. Or South Park. South Park, yeah. Um, but Japanese animation has got its own uniqueness here. Um, much in the same way like The Simpsons broadcast on primetime. Uh-huh. Their entire channels, which again on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and even Thursdays, which are really big viewing days, obviously, hours of just Japanese animation. About anywhere from 35 to 40 series come out every single season in Japan for Japanese animation. Jeez. Again, it's a lot of people animating stuff in Japan. And it's not all, like, action. Uh, a lot of it can be romance, comedy, uh, adventure, sci-fi, western. Less westerns, I think, but... Uh, but more? adventure action series. Again, it's a lot of shows that, that you know... Again, it's the kitchen sink. Try everything that that, ha that works, and if something sticks, try it and do it again. Um, so you get a number of different, like shows that, you know, do a number of different things. Either they have a unique theming or they have a unique goal that they're trying to show in the series. Um, but a lot of it's not intentionally meant for a younger audience. Um, at, at this point, since it's so popular, is some of it meant for an American audience? I mean, are there, or a more Western audience, is there, has there been a change in anime to, to try to absorb as much of that audience as possible? So one of the big shifts that happened here, and this goes into the early 2010s here as we move on through the history of anime, um, we get a lot more uh, streaming services that start um, broadcasting anime here. And so you get a more easy platform, not necessarily easily transferable platform, but a lot more of the people here in the West started taking obviously a look at Japanese animation because it did get really popular on Cartoon Network. Uh, Cartoon Network is what saved Family Guy in, and actually Futurama as well where these were shows that got counseled by Fox and because they did such great work in syndication got literally brought back for more seasons because of that. Um, but you get shows, um, you get a web, major website you probably get now for streaming anime is called Crunchyroll. Uh, they have a convention here in San Jose. I'm aware of that convention because I work downtown. I do too, so yeah. I'm very much aware of that convention. I actually have an award from them. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yes. It was for Robotnik. Oh, perfect. Yes, you are the perfect Robotnik. Yes. But we'll do about we'll do another episode about cosplay a little bit later, so but that'll flow in with other stuff here as well. Okay. Um so Crunchyroll obviously started in the early two thousands with basically bridging the gap between what would have been digi-subbers and the modern anime studios. Where again, you have to remember though that when we go back to digi-subbers here, they were people that didn't um, get paid for what they were doing. They were purely fan-based. 
they were also known as fan subbers. So, so sure, sharing the sharing the craft, as it were. Well, sharing what would be stories that, like, if you don't speak Japanese, that you would never get a chance to really understand and appreciate at the end of the day. And a lot of the topics that get discussed in Japanese animation, you know, or the theming of shows, can be obviously very complex and very intricate. And outside of the pretty moving pictures, if you don't know what they're saying, you basically lose what's a lot of the show. So, 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 would you say they're more complex then? Because I think a lot of American animation, you could follow from watching the. Um, like you don't need to understand what's being said when you see Bugs Bunny or Tom and Jerry, to understand what's what's taking place. So, if if you're saying you wouldn't necessarily be able to follow, unless you understood the language, are you saying that the the topics they're dealing with are more complex? Well, I think there's obviously a language boundary that happens naturally um, between Japanese and English. There's not a lot of idioms in Japanese language or common, you know, not as if we were like Spanish or French or more Latin-based rooted, you know, languages. But um, but again, that's another unique flavor of what Japanese animation is, is that they, again, because they're willing to throw in the kitchen sink and try just about anything, that you get a lot of topics here that you will never find discussed here in America, much less shows about it here. Um, one of my favorite shows here, and I kind of want to put this in a review topic here, is going to be called Death Note. Um, basically, the, the quick synopsis of the story here is that you basically there's a notebook, college-bound notebook here that drops onto Earth, and basically the notion is that so long as you know the name and the face of the person that you are thinking of when you write their name in the Death Note, that person will die within 60 seconds. So sort of like a voodoo doll with a, with a mortality rate. Pretty much, but again, what's interesting about the book here too is that if you, within that 60 seconds, if you specify how they die, they'll do that, assuming they can do that. So like if you- There's a lot of power in, in uh, an angry person's hands. Well, I mean, not necessarily angry, but maybe a justice-minded person. Oh. So here's, so what so, is So a vigilante notebook. So essentially what ends up happening here is that because you can write down the details of how somebody will die, like so if you say fall off a bridge and make it so mm -hmm. nobody will ever find your body, you know, you can do that. Or if you say, you know, I want you to send over all your wealth to me and then, you know, pass away, you know, of a heart attack or die of old age, you can do that as well. Wouldn't that make you the number one suspect? Well, so, but you don't, yeah, if you did it that way. So, the, but that's an interesting, but again, notice how you like, you're developing all these thoughts and the and ideas about how that works, and the series is literally about which is more important: is it vigilante justice more important if social justice doesn't get it, or is criminal justice, you know, a better thing than vigilante justice? And so, throughout the show, two characters—the guy with the notebook here and the guy who's trying to figure out who the guy with the notebook is—are basically fighting each other in a way to figure out who is who. So. Either one of them can get killed or the other one can arrest them for basically vigilante justice and being a murderer. Well, does the guy with the notebook uh, monetize the, the uh, ability? Because you, certainly you could make some cash. You could make some cash, but he doesn't. But again, I, 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 again it's, a, it's a very fascinating series to watch. It's, an, it's, an, it's a really interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. And again, this premise, is, yeah. This is one of the, the beautiful things about Japanese animation is that you can have topics like this. 
you can have long-running giant space operas and you can have one basically every single season if you're super into that well you could get really complex too because you don't have to erect a movie set or do do a whole lot of cgi if you're drawing it true uh well okay. you might do some cgi if you're doing you know a space opera just to make sure all the ships stay out model and maybe it's easier to animate that in a certain way here there's a lot of actual japanese animation here that actually now uses cg animation for the backgrounds so that way, if you're not having to animate the key figures in the in the shot here, you can have background images that are CG that are moving around somewhat naturally. So that way, you're only really major major focusing on just the key characters in some cases. So there are shows like that. Um, so it would like, free you up. Yeah, you would have more more time to do stuff. Although who knows how much that really costs to do CGI as well? Probably a little bit more, less expensive than literally hand drawing it for a chance. Um, you've played sports, right? Yes. You know, the drive in sports and you're in that literal moment when sports happen and you're just like, you have to do X, Y, and Z and we get there and oh my goodness, I can't believe that shot happened. Ah. Yeah. There's a lot of Japanese shows about sports. Really? Yes. And I, there's an audience for that. Well, because it's certainly a rigged outcome. It's not like you, you, you know, have, have a, a real sporting chance of, of betting on the thing. Well, obviously, in, in Japanese animation, if you're reading it or watching it along the way, sometimes, depending on the show, sometimes plot armor doesn't exist. And um, if you've never heard the term plot armor, this is the notion that, like, obviously the main characters have to win to get to the next, you know, right. point here. Right, yeah. And plot armor also exists in a anime kind of fantasy world setting that, like, this character's not going to die. They're going to win or they're going to survive. So they're not going to die at all because if they died the series wouldn't end. It's one of the terms that, like, that if you ever, when we get to the topic of Game of Thrones, you'll realize that plot armor doesn't exist in Game of Thrones. A main character or a character, a very important character can die in a literal snap of a finger from their stupid mistakes or their uh, inability to act properly. But okay, okay, so, like, you knew that, that Harry Potter had plot armor because you needed Harry Potter to go on in order to get to the next book. And clearly Hermione was going to be around, and clearly Ron was going to still be around because they had plot armor because they needed to be there because they're the major characters. They were always going to have to be around. Okay, it's the first time I've heard the term, but it absolutely makes sense. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's one of the reasons why I wouldn't, again, like, Dumbledore dies in Harry Potter. Like, spoiler if you haven't seen it or, what, or read it. Um, but, like, a lot of people did not expect, expect that to happen because they figured he had plot, plot armor. armor. Okay. Whether that was explicit or not in a lot of cases. Okay. Um, but, no, in Japan, there's a lot of shows about sports. And depending on how far you get into it, sometimes the sports are very realistic. And then other times they're a little goofier. So you might have, like... Campy? Not necessarily campy, but a lot of times in Japanese animation... Um, which you have a lot of time here, when you have like Western comics versus Japanese comics, mm -hmm. Western comics are all about what powers you have and dealing with what, what powers that you have to use those either in unique situations or use those same powers to overcome something. Yeah. It's why when you go through like the pantheon of comic book heroes, like Superman never gets any stronger or any faster or any better. Batman has the same kind of set of tools all the time, maybe a, a new tool here and there, but he doesn't have any new superpowers. All the, the Marvel like characters and DC characters, their powers are literally static. They're always the same exact power all the time. Maybe Iron Man. 
Iron Man could get a better suit. He could get a better suit, but okay. it's not. But it's not necessarily. But it's not really getting anything. He's not, you know, suddenly able to shoot lasers out of his eyes. As okay. An okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Japanese though, like it's all about powering up to get to the next level. It's a which was a very common trope that came from Dragon Ball Z initially, where the character literally went from black hair to blonde hair as a power-up, and now that he's got this new power, now he can suddenly beat whoever he's got to beat. And that happens a lot through Japanese animation here as well, that you'll have Naruto learns a new super ability that nobody else knew, but only he knows now. Now he has the ability to beat up other people. You know, uh, Luffy in One Piece learns how learns a new trick with his, you know, learns a new special ability that lets him beat the next guy here. You know, Ichigo in Bleach learns to you how to summon a new sword which lets him be a whole lot more powerful than he ever was initially so in japan it's all about if there's a problem in front of you then you gotta get better to get past that problem so it's sort of a merit system which i think probably goes along along a lot with with japanese society as a whole yeah so again like if there's a if there's a boundary that's between you between where you want to be and where what you need to defeat here like and that might be like you want to get a better job here Obviously, you go to school and you learn more about you learn more about what the topic is, so you advance to get beyond that. So you power yourself up. So it's a notion of always making yourself better and better and better, which is kind of a somewhat ingrained topic in notion in Japan. It's that you always want to make yourself better. Better, you yeah, can. yeah. And that's clearly how like all the heroes do it, and that's how everybody gets more powerful and gets to the next level and is able to do to continue with the story even. Um, but in sports, if we go back down the rabbit hole a little. Um, sometimes you might have, you know, a great show I like is called Kuro no Basuke, which is basically the basketball of, Kuro, of Kuroto, or Kuro. Um, Kuro, it's basically a basketball anime. Dad would love it. Pop, <laughs> Pop would love it. Um, because it treats basketball in a very realistic sense in a certain way, without being too kind of campy. Um, the main character, Kuro, basically has no presence when he's playing basketball. Like, if you didn't immediately see him from a distance, you wouldn't even imagine he's there in the game. He's such an un... He has no presence about him. You ever have somebody who just kind of just walks into a room and just like, ah, and you realize you were there. The person the person at the party that, that somebody asks you, what were they there? And you're like, I don't remember. I don't Precisely. Recall. Okay. But what Kuro can do with this is that if you, you pass the ball to one person here, he catches the ball with like a single hand and like redirects the the basketball somewhere else to another person. So basically, he's like the 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 phantom sixth fifth man or sixth man that basically is moving the ball around to other people that are in a better position. Okay, now when you when you you're liking this to basketball or this is actually this basketball. Is, this is an actual basketball show. Oh, uh, okay. I, I'll give you an episode of this because this is just as fascinating as well. He, he's he's like Metal Lark Lemon or. Well, again, he's just—he's like a ghost, basically playing throughout the game. Where again, so he's not a globetrotter. Almost like a globetrotter, maybe. Okay. Because now, now imagine you, and you're passing over here to the right, and this other guy is over here to the right, but he's clearly being guarded really well. Uh huh. Well, this guy kind of comes in between there, and then passes the ball over to the left-hand side, where somebody who's not being well guarded and gives the ball to him. Oh, okay, so I'm, I'm fascinated here, so I don't mean to interrupt, but. He's not invisible. You just don't notice him. You just don't notice him. Okay. Just trying. I'm just trying to understand the okay. concept. Okay. No, absolutely. So, okay. Yeah. So it's like a special ability, and everybody kind of in that show has a kind of a quirky sort of a special ability. Like some, there's one guy who shoots 
from anywhere on the basketball court, including the opposite net. It always hits perfect threes. There's a guy who can copy any sort of special ability other people can do. So, like, if you've got, like, a really cool, like, dunk, he can mirror the dunk. If you've got really good dribbling skills, he can mirror the dribbling skills. So very much like the Globetrotters. Very much like Globetrotters, actually, yeah. Okay. And so everyone's kind of got a little special ability. They can sometimes have special names that go with these abilities, like one of them is like a meteor jam, which basically is like a leap from the the free throw line to do like a dunk, but then you just like throw the ball into the hoop from like halfway as you're getting across there because you're clearly not going to get all the way to dunk it. Um, people enter the zone, which gets very fascinating later on because people, when they're just in the zone, are just like playing on just like a more perfect level. Um, yeah, again, like it's a little quirky here, but clearly, like, it's got all the same hallmarks and feelings of what would be a basketball game between, like, hey, this team's got a really good defense, or this team has got a really good offense, and this is how we get through it here. So it's, again, like, it's very realistic in that sense. And another show I'd recommend for sports is a, one of my favorite shows, which I want to discuss when we get to the topic of manga here, is Hajime no Info, probably the most realistic boxing show you'll ever watch in your life. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. This, the guy who draws this clearly is into boxing enough that he studied it and practiced it at one point. Okay. And his fights are so realistic, you can feel the impact in a still image. That's how that's how absolutely amazing it is um, throughout the entire thing. Like, you can, you can feel the weight of, of all the punches. Okay, so it's interesting that you say that because generally when I think of anime, I don't think, it, think of it as being drawn... Um, with the kind of detail that you get in a Pixar or um, a Disney-style anime. I think of it as being um, less detailed, and, and yet what you're describing would be more so. No, it depends on what you're... No, no, it somewhat depends here, where you get a lot of the flashiness and beautiful movement in something like a Pixar movie here. Depending on how far you go down the rabbit hole of Japanese animation, you'll find a lot of shows which are again, might have for like a minute and a half, uh, or like a, maybe like a minute long ending to a show, uh-huh. might have somewhere in the neighborhood of over 10,000 keyframes being done. Oh, wow. There's a great show right now um, called, I believe it's called Kaguya-sama War is Love, where the ending is just this one girl dancing. And it's, again, it's the dancing movement is so, the clothing movement is so flowy and the move every single animation is just so spot on perfectly smooth and perfectly animated nothing is jerky or anything in the way it's the ending to the show and it's a very silly song that it plays as well but it's just gorgeous animation it's what um in the japanese term they consider what they call sakuga which means like we spend a lot of money on this animation really <laughs> It's so they actually have a term for it. They have a term for it. They usually mean usually it's supposed to mean like beautiful animation or like you know ex- extensive animation. It's really kind of a great way of saying we spent a lot of money on this money shot right here. So we're either going to use it a whole lot or it's going to be very important. A lot of uh, intros in Japanese animation are sakuga in some cases because they're very detailed animation. That's what. Now, are they playing titles over them or? So it depends. Some shows do a really good job of hiding the titles in the animation. Okay. So like a brick wall might have somebody might have the name of the producer on it and it gets punched out by another hero. And then as you're like driving down a street or something, maybe you see another street lamp, you 
pause on like a like a street sign that has the name of the band that's playing the title song here and um, again like intros for me are awesome because they're the great way to get you hyped up for the show and give you like an early preview of what the show's going to be about some shows lie to you though and they do that intentionally um, but yeah again like this is one of those fascinating things about Japanese animation okay do. so does anybody do like the awesome intro and then a crappy show yes, behind it there's a lot uh, maybe not necessarily crappy because if you spend a lot of money on the intro here um, you usually spend a lot of money on the animation as well. The intro is sometimes the last thing that gets animated in a lot of cases just because um, you want to kind of, if, especially if you're starting with a show um, that's not a well-known property to begin with, um, you might figure out what the show is more about, especially as it gets animated, and then come up with the intro. Or in some cases, it differs a little bit. Or who you want to attract, or yeah. what you, what your target audience is. Okay. There's a great show called Maho uh, Shoujo uh, Madoka Magica, which basically means Magical Girl uh, Madoka. Uh huh. Magica. I don't know what the magical part is at all. Um, where basically the intro is this very cute and very sweet opening that makes you think this is going to be a very innocent and lighthearted show, and the show is not anything like that. Dark. It is it is um, a very dark deconstruction of what an animal and a magical girl series is. Um, magical girl series. Um, this, this is probably a good time to get into some terms here, but um, Japanese animation is loves genres. Okay. And they love their genres. It's a quick way for you to quickly decipher what the show is kind of about here. Um, they have a lot of the same genres that we might have here in America. So you might have your comedy. You might have your sci-fi, you might have your fantasy, you might have your action-adventure, you might have your drama, you certainly have like a spy series and stuff like that, you you know, and you have a lot of shows which are also ensemble casts, which can clearly hold lots of people in them, in some cases here. You might have a cast as big as over a hundred people in it. Oh, wow. So, like, not all hundred people are there all the time, and Sometimes you you have you have a, a Hank Hazaria who's doing six or seven voices. Um, you'd be surprised actually in Japanese animation. There's a different voice actor for every person. Oh, really? They rarely they. It's very. It's not very common that a person will do the same voice for the same character. The exceptions might be if they're family members in some cases. So um, here's a good example here. The lead character in Dragon Ball is a is a gentleman named Goku. I want you to realize this and, and realize I'm not kidding here at all, is that the person that plays it is like a 60-year-old woman. <laughs> okay. And she also does the son as well. Okay. So, make, so again, in that sense, it makes sense because obviously the son would sound like similar his, yeah. to the dad. Yeah. Um, the same thing is true with uh, Naruto. Naruto was played by a woman in Japan. Okay. Um, somewhat of a raspy voice and it's same year too in America that Bart Simpson is played by a woman. Okay. You wouldn't initially think that at all, but it is. Because again, you hear Bart Simpson, you're like, no, that's, I know a kid like that, but no, that's <clears throat> done by a woman named, I believe, Nancy Cartwright, who auditioned to be Lisa initially, but they but she did a bunch of other, like, children voices, and they're like, oh, wait, go back to the recipe one. And that was Bart Simpson. Uh, Luffy is played by, Luffy, which is, again, these are very major characters in Japanese animation. I mean, uh, you gotta realize that Naruto uh, was over 750 chapters in Japan, with basically 50 episodes, 50 chapters in a year, 
because they're literally drawing it once a week. It's like 15 years worth of animating the same exact dude. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Hajime no Impa, which is one of my favorite ones, that's over a thousand. I think it's actually up to almost close to 1,200 here. Uh, One Piece is a similar genre. It's over a thousand chapters long. So it's been going on for well over 20 years. Uh, Probably one of the longest running shows is a show uh, called Detective Conan. That's close to 1,500 chapters. Okay, so hold it here. So you have Detective Conan. Is this like a straight-up, like, detective sort of story, or is it... With, from the viewpoint of a child. From the viewpoint of a child? How do you do that? So what happened was is that in Detective Conan here, um, you had a kid who was already, like, this really great detective sort of person anyways, and he got given... He got too close to a crime with a crime syndicate, the syndicate gave him a potion which was supposed to kill him. It didn't kill him, it actually just made him younger. So it turned him back, in, so instead of being an 18-year-old kid, it turned him back into like a 7-year-old, 8-year-old kid. And so Perpetually? Na- perpetually. Well, mind you, some Japanese animation here, like, don't age. So he's been 7 for the last, theoretically, almost 25 years, because this started being written in the early 90s and still goes on today. And so, I mean, and if you go back to Hajime no Impo, like as an example, that starts in the very early 90s. And despite the fact that clearly this is, it treats real world, it doesn't take, doesn't treat real world time and stuff, but you go through boxing match and boxing match, like Impo starts when he's boxing when he's 16 years old. By the time you catch up to the manga, he's like 24 years old, so time has clearly passed, but uh, but the time doesn't always sink through all the same way. Like, in some cases... So, so you could go <coughs> five... You could age five years in, in over a ten-year time span. In some cases. Um, Bleach is a good example here. Um, one portion of the show, which lasted about... I want to say about a week in, Jap- in the actual sh- timeline of the show, spent the better part of almost three and a half years years in comic book form. Oh, wow. Yeah, so again, depending on the story that's being told, you might have a story that takes um, a very short amount of time in the actual time span of the actual show, but feels like it takes forever in the comics. Like, when you get to the final episodes of Naruto, it's a good example here. The final fight theoretically happens over the course of maybe like two or three days with this final war. It encompasses about three or four hundred chapters in the in the comic, where like it take it's a very long digression to get to anywhere. Okay. And some fights might take you some fights that might be a twenty minute fight might take you two months to read through because that's how many little details are in it. So, but that's Japanese comics for you. And um, we you might have heard us speaking about comics here. What we call in, Jap- in Japanese comics are called manga. We'll have a separate talk of topic about manga here as well, but um, when it comes to Japanese animation, though, a lot of the stuff that you initially see in uh, animation is not new in some ways. A lot of it's done off of Japanese comics. A great majority of it is. You find very few series every season that are wholly owned original properties or original creations. You probably will get 
probably half the shows that come out in Japan are all based off of Japanese comics in a lot of cases. But, but in some ways that makes sense, because if you think about it, the original Superman was based off of a comic. Precisely. Spider-Man, same thing. Mm-hmm. It gives you a built-in audience. And not only does it give it a built-in audience, but a lot of the shows stay very true to the original comic with the source material in a lot of cases. So if you were originally reading this back in the day, and you're like, oh, this new season is coming out, I wonder how they do the animation for this, you know? And sometimes your expectations of what you think the comic did versus what the animation does is not quite there. Sort of like a book and a movie. Yeah, and then you get shows like Attack on Titan, which when they actually get to the point where they're using, doing all the movement and everything, you're just like, all right, well, my mo- my mind is blown even more so because I was not even expecting that. Because it's just uh, very... Attack on Titan is this notion here where... Uh, was just is an animation that came out here in the early, in the mid two thousand tens. I want to say either fourteen, uh, thirteen, or fourteen here, uh, where humanity has devolved to a um, medieval sort of society. They've got giant walls to protect them from what they call titans, which are anywhere from nine to thirty foot tall humanoid creatures that are trying to eat humans. They've walled themselves off to stop the Titans, but occasionally Titans come to their giant, like, 50-story wall, like, 30-story walls, mm-hmm. and try to break through them, and so to do that, you have special, a uh, special waist-mounted sort of gear, uh, setup here that shoots hooks into the wall, so you can kind of hop and skip along the wall here to get down to the Titans and kill them from, like, cutting the back of their neck. So sort of a spidey ability. Yeah, kind of like, <laughs> like Spider-Man, yeah. But again, to watch them animate it here and to watch them move around and fling across the screen here is really cool because the animation did a really good job of animating that. And so like when you see it in the comics, you're like, it's kind of like Spider-Man, yeah. But then when you see it in live action, it's like, oh, this is so much better than I really thought it would be. And it really was. Um, and I want to give you one of those, the, one of those episodes because not a good representation of what I would consider anime. Um, but maybe back to some terms here. So um, three major terms you'll find in Japanese animation mm-hmm. that you won't find in Western here is the is kind of somewhat more genre-specific stuff. But they also kind of denote what, who the show is initially uh, catering for. Okay. So you might have a show that you might hear a term called shonen, which means basically young boys. So there's an entire comic book series called Shonen Jump which is where Naruto, One Piece, Bleach, and a lot of other uh, young, young men sort of, young, cho- young boys sort of comics originate from. Okay. Um, so they're mainly aimed for a more teenage boy audience is kind of okay. the best way to put that. Um, on the opposite side, you have a show, you have shoujo, which you might find would be more aimed toward girls or young girls here in a lot of cases. This is where you get your... Sailor Moons, you get your romance sort of stuff, you get a lot of, not necessarily slice of life stuff, but you, you sometimes get those in there occasionally. Okay. Uh, but they're, in, they're more series that are aimed for Well, your girls. sister was into Sailor Moon for a while. Yeah. So, um, and then the last one I would, rec- the last one I would recommend is, aimed, is what we call Senin, which is meant more for uh, mature audiences. And it's not to say mature audience in the sense that, like, there is blood in this topic. It might more or less mean that you know, hey, this is a show primarily about adults going through adult things. It's a little more plot. Maybe not necessarily more plot, but more, but again, it's like, oh, these are the life and tribulations of 
a salary man in Japan. It's basically like just okay. an office worker that does just somewhat menial tasks in Japan. Um, or here's, you know, here's an otaku, who, here's a kid who's 25 years old, has no goal in his life, and he's just going throughout his life. Okay, so uh, this, this ties into something I've heard, and that's that, that you get a lot of anime um, that isn't necessarily plot-driven, but is driven by sort of almost like a reality show with somebody's life. Yeah, so... Um, so you do. So one of the great things about Japanese animation is that a lot of cases that it's serialized, um, which basically is the notion here that you ha- that you have to kind of watch every episode to figure out to rem- to remind yourself what's happening beforehand. It's not going to be like Friends or Cheers, where you can kind of just kind of where it stands alone. Where there's standalone episodes that like if you didn't watch last ep- the last episode, you just can come back right back into it and nothing's changed. All everything goes back to a status quo. Um, and Japanese animation, though, it's a lot of... Because a lot of it's based off of comics, which is meant to be, you know, intentionally serialized. Uh-huh. You get a lot of the shows which have are serialized in the same fashion. So you have to watch... If you don't watch last week here, they don't offer a recap. They often don't rebroadcast. Oh. And so... So if, if you miss it, you lose it. You miss it, you lose it. You have to wait for the DVDs to come out. Now, there are some channels which do do rebroadcast of uh, shows that were live streamed or originally came out in prime time initially uh, but they're more like your Cartoon Networks and Nickelodeons or cable channels primarily in Japan okay um, but serialization is a big thing in Japan for that and so you do get um, a number of shows which are of a more serious topic or more of a serialized nature in that case um, and seven shows again in that particular case are meant more toward a more mature audience or an older audience here uh, one of my favorites in that particular genre uh, that was actually just airing here last year uh, was basically a show about people who work in an office but are secretly otakus. Or What's an otaku? Alright, so there's another term I brought up by accident. Um, so an otaku is basically what we consider in America a fan of Japanese animation. But in Japan it means a fan of something. So in a lot of cases here, um, you might an otaku might be a person who knows a lot about a specific topic, a specific topic in Japan. So you might have a military otaku who's this is a person who knows a lot about military warfare, maybe guns and stuff like that. You might have a, in our case here, an anime otaku which is wholly wholly into this anime scene and genre and stuff like that. So I would be a yarn otaku. Yes, I would okay. recommend a yarn otaku for you. Okay. Um, but that's but in America we've kind of colloquialized that to mean like an anime nerd is the best way to put that here. Um, another term you might hear might be called weeb, which is W E E B. It's kind of a uh, semi-derogatory way of calling an anime nerd, but a lot more people have just kind of taken it to being like, yeah, I'm a weeb, so suck it, you know, sort of thing, you know, like like a dweeb but anime. Yeah. Much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's meant to be derogatory on a certain level, um, but like an Anna nerd. Yeah, but we've just kind of owned it at this point, so it's not really something that can harm anybody anymore. Because okay. once you make once you make light of it here, it's the producer syndrome where you made light of Hitler, so now Hitler is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Springtime for Hitler and Germany. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, other topics, a lot of the time you might see in a lot of Japanese animation revolves around school. And okay. so the notion for this is that a lot of this is based on in high school is because 
in Japanese culture, high school is your last chance of youth. Because once you graduate from high school, then you have to go to university where they take, where they take you know, even clubs in university very seriously. To be in a club in university is a, is a serious bit here. So no Animal House? No Animal House, no, no, no. Okay. Very, very little of that. Um, but e- and even if you don't um, go to college there in Japan, you're expected to start work literally like the next day after you graduate in some cases. So you might start work at, you know, maybe you start apprenticing to become a sushi set chef, or maybe you start working at your, you know, at your parents' you know, restaurant, or maybe you start... Or maybe you start interviewing for a salaryman job or something like that. Like you immediately start work, looking for work right after you graduate from no, high school. There's no, no gap year. There's no, yeah, there's no like gap year or like summer break or anything like. So Japan in high school is like that last chance of like you know, freedom from a certain life of having to work all the time, and so you get a lot of shows that are based around high school students, because that was the last chance of freedom. Because if you were like an if you were an adult after you're 18 and graduated from high school, you'd have a much different outlook on um, on life in that particular way. Well, okay, okay. So if if they're centered on high school, does that mean they're intended for a high school audience, or are they dealing with sort of something down the middle, where it's just that that they have more freedom? Um, it's a little different in different cases here. So, like in some examples here. <coughs> It might be sent to high school because you're aiming for a high school audience, you know. So if you're like Naruto and Bleach, those are teenager car- those are yeah. those are characters that are teenagers. So of course they'd be in high school, and so maybe they. And then those shows like high school doesn't come up all that often. It's more a setting than necessarily a plot element. It's not saved by the bell. No, but you do get shows um, like The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, which all takes place in high school. And literally around a club in high school, and you literally watch the students go through class in some cases, and then when they're out of class, they go do their hijinks as well. Okay. So, like, the school life is there, but a lot of shows are based around that because of that. Um, very rarely do you get shows that don't, you know, um, where in some cases, like, high school is a, more or less a, as a setting in a lot of cases. Because obviously, if you're a teen, they're aimed a lot toward teenagers. So, if your characters are teenagers, which is their last, you know, again, grasp of uh, freedom here, your character has to go to high school. Well, see, and, and what I'm thinking is, you know, you had Glee as an example, which was mm-hmm. a show that took place in a high school essentially, but it really wasn't limited to a high school audience. As a matter of fact, I would argue maybe the high school high school age kids weren't necessarily its target audience. No, and yeah, that's a very good example here where, again, um, and, and clearly that was a show that was aimed more toward a more adult audience that was somewhat nostalgic for those days of high school even, but it also could speak to the very much to the kids who were in high school as a topic for them, and that's a lot of shows where uh, high school is a setting here. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you have a lot of shows, again, where you, like where you said earlier, it might be reality kind of based, which we call a slice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, shows which basically is more or less just oh my goodness there's a camera in the middle of the classroom nobody look at the camera or the camera doesn't really exist it's a ghost you're just watching the lives of certain people as they go through romance breakups uh, one of my favorite shows here and I can't recall the name of it off the top of my head here um, basically uh, uh, the boy here is is, is, uh, is about five foot five five foot six maybe 
and the girl that he's really into is like six foot two. I lived that. Yeah, that, that could happen occasionally, but but no, that that's literally series, and the two of them having to struggle to relate to each other because of that. Like they they're good, they're really good friends, but they're having tr- but he's having trouble being with her because she's so tall and and kind of a little butch in some cases. Versus where he's very small and wiry because he's small. The two of them are really good chemistry together, but they have a, their own hangs. Like, I don't want to date somebody that's taller than me. It's like, or I don't want to date somebody that's shorter than me. Or I got tired of wearing flats. Yeah. But but yeah, but again, like that's that's a literal slice of life where you literally watch them go, go go do karaoke. You watch them go to the water park. You get you watch them through class and have individual hangups with their friends over their misconceptions about stuff. So there's a lot of shows that are in that genre of slice of life, as we would call it. Um, the other one that's cl- quickly becoming very popular is what we call an isekai. Um, it's basically translated to, is to in another world. And it's basically the notion here where you pick up a person, you pick them up, and then you plop them in a different world. Uh, usually a fantasy world or more of a uh, technology gifted world in some cases a world that's wholly different from their own and they somehow are some special snowflake that is either got some sort of special ability or somehow specially designed to want to be in this world um, the best example of that is a sort of called a show called Sword Art Online it's a very somewhat popular show here in the west because of how some people think it's not all that great um, but it's actually not that bad um, basically the notion was is that they came up with a virtual reality game that where basically your consciousness goes into this game you basically like sit down and sleep through while you're playing it mm-hmm. um, and it's a virtual uh, multi- massively multiplayer online role playing game or an MMO like World of Warcraft almost so you okay. play out these characters here um, and the show is originally based off the notion here that um what happened was is that they didn't put a log off button in. So you can't get out. So the creator made it, the creator came up with the game and the, took out the log out button. Who would buy that game? They didn't know this when they first logged in though. Okay. And so in theory the creator basically wanted to say how many you know, like I'm gonna trap ten thousand people in my game and I wanna see what the experiment experiment is basically and how they survive. Because real-world time flows the same way it does in, in real time, essentially. So it's not like if you're asleep for... If you're playing the game for an hour, like two days passes in the game. No, it's one hour is equal to one hour. And he had the stipulation as well as that if you die in the game, you die in real life. Well, that sucks. Yeah. And then at the same time, here, somebody tries to remove your headgear that it has on... It's got a little microwave chip in the back of it, so it'll fry your brain. So they can't disconnect you either. <laughs> So you're basically stuck in the game, and you got to be through all 100 levels uh, of the game here. But to, it's to get out? To get out, yeah. To, and you don't know that going in? Well, the, the, he tells you that. He, basically what it is is everyone logs into the game here and starts, you know, experiencing it and playing it like you would a brand new game like this. Um, and then basically what the creator did was he summoned everybody back to the center of the town and basically said, uh, oh, everyone's got a mirror now, so the avatar that you created for yourself... Now it looks like you in real life. So in some cases, like, a lot of, like, really handsome children's guys turn into kind of, like, portly sort of guys as well. Some girls turned into guys and so forth here. 
Um, and then basically he announced to everybody here, was like, great, now that you all know who each other are now, you have to get through the game here. You have to be all 100 levels of this game here. Sort of like being catfished. Yes, And much. exposed. Okay. Pre- pretty much. He wanted everyone to be realistic about what they were doing here. Um, you have to get through all 100, you have to be all 100 bosses to beat the game. And then once you beat the game here, I'll let everybody out. But if you die in the game, you die in real life. So, like, it's very much a, you know, going into a new world. Uh, there's uh, a lot of shows that kind of came up. Not This is not necessarily a new idea at all. Um, this has been done in previously in the past as well, but it's it gained notoriety with Sword Art Online, so you have shows that basically come out every season that are like this. Uh, one right now is that um, this guy died... Um, he got stabbed um, when he was protecting his co-worker. Mm-hmm. And he gets reincarnated as a slime creature. In which, if you know, like, Japanese games, slime creatures are meant to be the most docile, easy-to-kill things in, in the game, normally. But the slime basically has a special ability where it can absorb the knowledge of stuff, and it can ask it, like, otherworldly body about knowledge. And so it eventually becomes this super-powerful creature because it just absorbs all this knowledge and other powers and abilities from other creatures that it and again it's basically a guy who's like i don't know what this world is well, kind of like an anamorph i don't know maybe necessarily an anamorph he does transform into other animals and eventually into a human form um it's literal title of the show is that that one time i died and got reincarnated as a slime it's it's cute and it's it's very wholesome at the end of the day because he basically starts his own society he finds a bunch of goblins by accident and teaches them how to use, make weapons and how to create, you know, barriers for their town and how to sew clothing and how to make huts and how to do all this other stuff here and eventually gets dwarves who help them make, you know, So he, he's, a, he's a humanitarian slime? Yes. Okay. Very much a humanitarian. He actually, in later seasons, builds a very impressive, you know, city and town where he's the leader of the town but uh, a very well-organized society of, le- of stuff here. So, so It's kind of a cool concept. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of shows that kind of have that. There's a lot of really horrible ones. Uh, one of them where this guy's special ability was that I went to this other world and I still had my cell phone that worked. It was not very good. I Quite, yeah, I was going to say, I mean... Way. You see, you you've seen various film versions of that where people go into another world, but they still have a whatever that works. I mean, Back to the Future still has the DeLorean. Yes. Um. So that's been done. It's yeah. It, there's stuff that's been done. It's it's clearly happening more commonly in animation, though. Okay. Uh, another show you might get here is a show called a harem or a harem anime. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically a notion that can happen for both guy and girls where. The ratio of guy to girls is either like one guy to like six to seven women or the opposite way around. Oh, like bachelor or bachelorette. Kind of like that. Okay. Um, But they all live together and none of them get voted off at the end of the day. There's no final rose ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) And you know how much I love that final rose. Well, it'd be the most dramatic ever. It would be an interesting show at that point, Hero, because then you kind of wonder who has the plot armor and who doesn't. That would actually be interesting for an anime. I'd love, that'd be an interesting concept for that. Uh, or a bachelor or bachelorette? Yeah. You could do Bachelor in Paradise. That's true. You can get all the characters that didn't make it into another into another season of something. 
Okay. So you so you get to see one one gender have the advantage over over the other because there's there's a disproportionate number. Oftentimes, no. Actually, it's actually a lot of cases the opposite here. Uh, one of the most popular ones, the original, not necessarily the most original one here, but one of the kind of ones that kind of initially uh, started here was Unie uh, Yasura, which I'm definitely saying incorrectly here. Um, that one's basically about an an, uh, an alien woman comes down from another planet, decides this guy is going to be her lover, and she literally calls him darling. Okay. Uh, but he's in love with other women, and so she basically <coughs> shocks him and hurts him every single time he looks at other women. Uh, it eventually leads to one of my favorite shows, which was Ronma One Half, a very, very funny show um, about a guy who, if you douse cold water on him, he changes into a girl, but if you put hot, boiling hot water on him, he changes back to a guy, and he's basically betrothed to about like, a dozen different girls here. What happens to him in a hot tub? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> So he's a girl, but he can't he he can't go in the hot tub because he'll s- he'll switch. turn back into a guy. He doesn't like being a girl, by the way. Just as a, just as a well, forward. you can't balance in the heels. Well, no. Again, he does. He often. I mean, the only time he ever I mean, he gets what happened was is that he's a part of a family training called Anything Goes Martial Arts, which basically means that like you super train in martial arts to basically get through life. Uh huh. So he basically walks on on the corners of walls, on tight strings, on ropes, for for just like, <coughs> oh, I'm just going walking to school. You know, like he kicks and throws punches in weird ways that are like, that's just how you throw a kick. Backwards, upside down, while doing, you know, 15,000 cartwheels. Um, they go to Flashy, the, but you know, effective. They go, they go to a, uh, they go to this place where you balance a little on sticks and to fight at, but all the pools underneath them are what they call cursed pools, where something died in those pools. Um, and so because something died in those pools, if you fall into one of those pools, you get that curse as well. So his dad fell into a pool where a panda died. So now when his dad is doused with cold water, he turns into a panda. Other characters, like one turns into a duck, one turns into a cat. Cockroach? One turns into a pig, none of them are cockroaches, but <laughs> it would be kind of just say. It would yeah. be funny. Um, he died in one where a woman died in, and so whenever he gets doused with cold water, he turns into a woman. And they don't, like, it's not like, oh no, I'm a panda, so now I just act like a panda. No, they act like themselves. They don't, they, they don't like, it's not like, <clears> oh, I changed into a girl, and I magically, like, think like girl now. No, he hates being transformed into a girl because it makes his life more difficult because everyone is in love with this girl form. So he stays out of that as often as possible. And in a lot of episodes, it never even comes up. Okay. Um, just the possibility. Just the possibility. And, but anytime he actually chooses to want to turn into a woman, it's often for episodes in which they're going to go swimming because clearly he's going to have to be a woman to go into the water anyway. So, Or when he's trying to use his, female, his uh, girl form here to get an advantage at something. So one, one, one example might be like, we have to sell people on getting into the dojo here. How do we get people to get into the dojo? He becomes a, he becomes yeah. a woman and dresses up like a bunny girl to get people into the, into the school. So he's very much using his uh, femininity here for not very altruistic goals at the end of the day, as you, as you might say. I know women who do that. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, but one of my favorite shows here um, that has the horror genre here is actually a show called 
love Hina, and this is one where the guy has almost no power in the entire show whatsoever. He has no standing, he has almost no room to stand on here. Uh, basically, there's a series of hot springs um, and an inn called the Hinata Inn. Um, and so, originally it was a hot springs hotel, where you would go out, you would stay in one of the rooms, and then you would go to the hot springs while you were there. And essentially, he become it's since changed, though. So it's since changed into a actual, like, dorm for girls. He ends up becoming the landlord of it. And so... So he's a landlord of... of a girl's dorm. dorm. So a lot of the girls pick on him throughout a number of the... In a lot of the show here where they pick on him and beat him up. And uh, you got to remember, when I say, like, they beat him up, they punch him, and then he's perfectly fine then, like... Four scenes, like another scene later. Like, well, that's the, any television show, though. Yeah, like they they take no damage. They're basically a little bit like rubber on that case. Okay. Um, but eventually, he ingratiates himself so much that his, his honestness, and he's, they occasionally consider him being very pervy at the end of the day too. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're spying in on us. I was literally just walking by, and this roof caved in by accident, and I accidentally fell down here. It was, was not intentional. Was it intentional? No, it was never intentional. Okay. Like okay. again, he's in the bad end of a lot of a lot of the punishment for no earthly reason. Married, single. He's actually trying to get into Tokyo U because he met a girl when he was younger who moved away, and the story was that if you go to Tokyo, well, I'll meet you when we're at Tokyo U together. So he thinks that if he gets into Tokyo University, which is the most prestigious school in Japan and for universities, that he'll get to meet his love, his childhood friend, and they'll get married. Meanwhile, there's another girl that's in the dorm who's also trying to get into Tokyo U, and so they end up becoming friends at that point here as they, as study buddies and eventually friends along the way, and eventually, uh, again, get into romance and then find out much, much later on that, oh yeah, that was the girl that you met, that you met all those years ago. Uh, how, now, how, how old is this guy? Um, he would probably be in his twenty, in his very early twenties, so like twenty, okay. twenty-one, and she would probably be like eighteen. Okay. And some of the other, some of the other girls though are in college or college age, and some of the girls are high school age. So, okay. Um, or in one case, I think one of them is even almost middle school, but eventually gets into high school. So. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be able to 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 watch some of these when we when we go to Japan. They'll be everywhere. I mean, and they'll okay. be on the, whether we can understand it or not is all depending on our Japanese studying. <laughs> Again, they don't offer subtitles, but um, but if you ever wanted to actually watch a lot of these shows, Crunchyroll would be the one to watch it at. Okay. So Crunchyroll, as I mentioned before, it's a streaming website service. Um, they've basically made agreements with um, Japanese show producers here that. They'll translate their show and they'll simulcast it here in America, or they'll release it here in America. They'll release it in America on a streaming service, and you can pay a subscription, kind of like a Netflix sort of thing, to get in on it to watch it without the ads, or you can watch it with the ads. So a lot of that money does go, a lot of the money while it's kept here in America does go back to the creators in Japan because um, in a lot of cases here, a lot of Japanese animation actually is not profitable. Okay, but wait, okay, well, let's talk about that for a second, because I would think, I mean, is it, in Japan, do they have the kind of tie-ins we have? Because there are posters, there are figures, there are all sorts of purchasing opportunities for anime. You certainly see that in in stores and things like that. 
One of my favorite shows is a show called Code Geass. I'm actually going to give you an episode of that one here. Okay. Um, because the first episode, again, is one of those, much in the same way where, like, Death Note, you know, gets your gears and your head spinning. Yeah. If this one does that as well, but it's also a good example of uh, a, a mech show as well, which is another anime trope of giant robots or robots in some sort of way. Okay. Um, one of my favorite shows, again, Code Geass, has a literal tie-in with Pizza Hut. Okay. Where the lady, where one of the characters literally orders Pizza Hut probably every episode and prominently displays the box. In the Japanese version. In America, because it's not licensed, because Pizza Hut isn't sponsoring here in America, they don't show it in there as much. But if you watch the original Japanese version, it's very prominently there. Okay. Uh, but you get a lot of shows that are like that where if it's got a, like a motorcycle or something, you might have a motorcycle brand that's in there. Or if it's a car brand, you might have a car brand that's in there. See, now, I, and I was thinking more of... of um, Merchandising? Yeah, because I remember your father going around one Christmas every morning to Toys R Us to get the White Tiger Zord, yes. which was sold out every, every place. I mean, it literally took him two weeks going every single day mm-hmm. to get the White Tiger Zord. Um, and and that was the thing. And you still see, obviously, those figures around. Mm-hmm. And, and so are there those types of of tie-ins that help this be a little bit more profitable there are but a lot of the times um the original animation house doesn't make the money off that the producers of the show will but not the original animation house for that uh, whoever of, owns the licensing rights yeah so, okay yeah a, a lot of where a lot of animation actually makes a lot of its money back in um dvd sales in some cases here okay uh, but obviously bigger studios can obviously try to get bigger sponsors or more people to to buy ads during their shows here, so if you got like if you're um, if you're an Aniplex or you're a Kyoto Ani, uh, you can you can obviously because your shows are very well known and they're very popular shows, you can actually um, request a lot of money for ads during the show broadcast, and obviously that gets split split between the company and with uh, anime pro- the producers of the animation, uh, but a lot of them make their money back in DVD sales. Okay. So that's where digital and fad subs originally came in, where <coughs> because they were being released here in America without a license initially, a lot of people were watching it and then not buying the DVDs where they came out. Because that was a big thing in the early 2000s. That if you ever wanted to watch a show, because it never was broadcast on TV, and um, there's no way to download it legally off the web here, that you had to make your money in DVD sales. That's why a lot of people have huge collections of DVD libraries for anima- for Japanese animation. Um, with the advent of Crunchyroll, though, a lot of that's changed because now you can watch a show sometimes hours after it comes out in Japan, already subtitled in in English here, and in some cases dubbed. In some cases, for some pla- for some places, in some major shows. And you can literally watch it right away in Japan, right away from the from the benefit of your home computer. So it's sort of the Netflix of of uh, anime. Well, Netflix, it, I would more or less akin it to more like Hulu, where Netflix buys whole seasons of stuff mm-hmm. and then releases it. Um, so you can literally binge watch an entire season of something, versus um, Hulu, which I think does do kind of episode releases I think but they're more but again that's more of a TV sort of thing here okay um, but Crunchyroll again I mean like you'll have it'll, they'll have a large collection of simulcast shows which again will tell you like oh this comes out on Thursday 
we'll come out with it the following Friday at like 7 a.m. So there's a number of shows that are just like that in some cases. And there's a there's enough of a following that, that they're going to get pick up from that right away. Well, in a lot of cases, some yes and some no. Even some very poorly received series, hey, it got licensed here in America. No one knew it was going to be popular or not. The the, the the creators will get some money back here from that here. Even if it's not a huge amount of money, it will be some money. Well, I, I wonder if there are shows that really weren't that catchy in, in Japan that, that are here because they appeal more to an American audience than a Japanese audience. There are some shows that are becoming like that here. Um, if we go back in time, um, Trigun and Cowboy Bebop, which are very, very influentially, you know, shows here in America, which got, gained a lot of attention. Um, another show, uh, Outlaw Star, which is very popular here in, here, in, um, here in the West, were not initially popular in Japan at all. So, especially with the Japanese market here, while a lot of their stuff is aimed for their own original Japanese audience, um, they certainly um, are also aiming for a more global audience as well, because with, with the global reach of the internet here, you can basically have as, just as many fans <coughs> in Japan as you might have here in the West. Um, and not to think that Japan is not the only ones that do it, but if you ever get a chance to, I'll show you the Japanese dub of My Little Pony. It's amazing. <laughs> The intro alone, the intro alone is worth it. They they've also done an anime version of Powerpuff Girls. Oh, I it's, love the Powerpuff Girls. It's like a like Buttercup, a, like a like a Maho, which is like a uh, Maho Shoujo, a Magical Girl series. I will definitely I will definitely see if I can find episodes of that for you. That would be fun. We actually saw some um, anime dubbed in Khmer in Cambodia. It is very prominent here. Probably one of the greater animes that we'll never see is actually one that's in all French. Oh, called, pourquoi pas? Uh, it's, um, uh, I want to say it's called Wakato. It's got a very Japanese, it's got a very Japanese influence and look to it. And then when you watch it, in, it it's all in French. Oh, très bien. So you watch it and you're just like, no, 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 this doesn't sound right. It should be in Japanese and it's not. Um, even here in America, a lot of people would say that some shows like Avatar um, would be an anime because of its clearly Japanese influences as far yeah. as serialization and uh, story structure and character development here. Um, so, but I think this is a good place to stop here for today. Okay. Um, I think we've got a lot of the good discussion here yeah, about what, what anime is here. Uh, we'll pick this up the next episode. We'll do. We'll give you some review material here, and we'll post this on our website as well, so everyone else can who's following along with us can see what we're watching. Okay. I'll provide links, and we'll go into more about what the anime culture might be here, in, especially in the states, and less about um, what it is in Japan. And we'll probably go over some more topics and uh, maybe some of my recommendations for shows if you're okay. interested. Um, and we can continue the discussion here next week. Terrific. Sounds great. Excellent. So I want to thank everybody for listening with us uh, here this inaugural episode, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Have a good day.